this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. Hello. So welcome to episode 12. Got some interesting uh, information I wanted to share. Uh, I've got this information from the Parental Alienation Legislative Fund website. <clears throat> you can find this website at palg PASI.org. And among their documentation they had was a, 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 a paper presentation, if you will, on the educating mental health professionals, judges, lawyers, and everyone involved with families. <clears throat> Obviously, educating them on what? Parental alienation. The statement is that, you know, mental health professionals who work in this field must be fully qualified in parental alienation and family systems. And boy, the longer I do this work and the more involved I get in it, it's so obvious that so many people are not that well educated on this phenomenon. They may have heard of it. They have an article or two that they have under their belt. I think I mentioned this in one of the broadcasts that I had a, a case in the state of Washington where I did testify. And the evaluator was asked on... Um, testimony, you know, how, how much preparation or how, how have you heard about parental alienation? And his response was he thinks he read an article on it. Well, in order to be effective in this business, you have to have more than an article under your belt and have a really thorough understanding of how damaging parental alienation is. Their position is that no assessment should ever be done by a mental health professional without a full understanding of alienating behaviors in family systems and the lifelong consequences that parental alienation has on children and both the target as well as the uh, favored parent. Every mental health professional involved in families must understand how parents with a personality disorder or other mental health challenges may purport to be a protective parent but in reality, they are abusive to their own children. We find this is very frequently uh, the case where the alienating or favored parent has some really major issues, primarily stemming from their childhood, that have to be resolved. It's just not a matter of um, telling them, hey, you need to not do that anymore. The, they, they must understand that a parent, and they being the mental health professionals, must understand that a parent often has motives to, to move or locate to another jurisdiction on their own without any authorization or even information with the other parent, basically to relocate to another county, uh, another state in some cases. I've actually had cases where they move to another country. How's that? Like the Middle East. And the children may never even want to return, uh, even as adults later on in life. So what's important is mental health professionals must understand that such motives on, by a parent are really, if ever, in the child's best interest. So one of the things that the uh, article went on to show was that um, the behavior, alienating behaviors by a favored parent might 
appeared to be innocuous attacks or very common because they're normal for high-conflict divorces, and they don't really have a, a lot of significance. The problem is they're not recognizing the effects that such behaviors have on vulnerable children. Basically, alienating strategies, alienating behaviors are nothing short of child abuse. And so they went down to a list of uh, common behaviors that you'll see in these cases. I'm not sure I'm going to do all of them because there was quite a few. They have 30 different behaviors. So I don't know if we'll cover all 30 right now, but let's go through some of them and we'll see how far we get. So number one is an obvious one, right? Bad mouthing. And that's where the other parent in front of the child or within earshot of the child basically says negative things about the other parent, i.e. the targeted parent. And basically, what does this do? It teaches children to be verbally abusive, and especially coming from an authority figure, i.e. a parent or a significant caregiver, says basically it's okay to say these things about this other person. The second behavior that we see is scolding the child for saying something positive or good about the other parent or even talking about the other parent, even mentioning the other parent. Um, it, inappropriate scolding or reprimanding teaches the child to be critical of others and prevents the child from learning appropriate social skills. I've had cases where they were, the favorite parent was actually proud of the fact that we don't even talk about the other person like that other person doesn't really exist. There are no photos in the house of the other person, and they don't talk about them. And if they did, the child would get reprimanded. The third behavior is exposing the child to parental conflict, whether in person or on the phone. So it's inappropriate conflict. Observing the conflict between the parents teaches a child to become conflictive, conflictual, with not only others, but it prevents the child from developing appropriate conflict resolution skills or strategies. It also interferes with the child's ability to learn about effective communication. So how do you treat other people that you are angry with? You, you speak to them meanly, you call them names, etc. That's That's child abuse because that's what the child walks away with and learns for the rest of their lives. The fourth behavior, directing negative nonverbal communication at the other parent in front of the child. So the child can observe how you behave, how, how one parent behaves in front of the other behavior. The other parent teaches the child what, how to use rude gestures. And you know the kind of gestures that you frequently see parents throwing at each other, avoiding effective conflict resolution strategies, or even effective interpersonal communication. So it's okay to display this disrespectful, rude behavior, and that's what the child learns. The fifth strategy of behavior is jumping to conclusions to condemn the other parent instead of talking with the other parent to discuss parenting issues. How many times have you seen in cases where they know, <clears throat> they have the intention, that they understand the intention of the other parent, they understand the motivation of the other parent, and I see this in evaluations. The evaluator will say, this behavior was the intention of this parent was to do the following. And evaluators don't know what people's intentions are. So jumping to the conclusions basically teaches the child to do the same thing. You don't have to think through anything. Failure to mentor or instill rational thinking skills. How about thinking about what other people do? You know, a really simple example 
and it's not a, it's not really uh, relevant to this discussion. But a simple discuss a simple example is somebody who's speeding by you on the highway, and you could say, "Well, there's a guy who has no respect for the law. He's speeding. He's disrespectful." But you don't know why they're speeding. What if they were speeding to come to the aid of a child? I actually I actually had a case a number of years ago where a child's head was stuck in an elevator. And the father was contacted by the mother. And this was not a divorce situation. This was just simply a, a, a personal injury case, actually. And the mom contacted the father who came all the way from the other side of the state in very high speed. That Somebody passing that person or seeing that person on the highway would say, well, how rude or whatever, how disrespectful that person was, how, how unlaw-abiding but they didn't really know the motivation for somebody to do that. Number seven is alleging victimization of abuse or violence to the third party, getting restraining orders, going to shelters to build fear or sympathy with the child. This is becoming a a standard practice in a lot of cases where people run to uh, shelters for for abuse and abuse. getting restraining orders. Look, if there's a genuine reason, a valid reason to do these things, that's one thing. But many times these these uh, behaviors are, are a strategy. They're a tactic that teaches the child how to do irrational things. Um, but unfortunately, it often creates a mental health issue, including anxiety, depression, parentification, cognitive distance, any number of um, potential disorders for the child, all as a strategy or a tactic to get the upper hand on the other parent. Again, I will reiterate because detractors who will come around and they'll say, you know, Evans is saying X, Y, and Z. What I'm saying is if there's a valid reason for the safety concerns of the parent and the child, then they have to take appropriate precautions and take actions. But many, many times, these strategies are implemented more as a strategy in the in the divorce case than they are as a protective mechanism. The eighth strategy, being unbalanced, being the fun parent, diverging, the, the, uh, diverging from the rules, divergent parenting, seeks to uh, motion a cycle of resentment, hostility, and rel- uh, reluctance of the child to follow rules with both parents. So one parent's following setting boundaries and, and disciplining the child appropriately for inappropriate behavior, and another parent totally disregarding any kind of boundaries, disregarding discipline, appropriate discipline, but becoming the fun parent and encouraging the breaking of rules. Ninth strategy is, is being overindulgent to the child to win their admiration. Frequently, uh, favorite parents would exhibit such behaviors or tactics to teach a child to manipulate others to win their favor. Um, Impulse control is diminished. So if you act out in a certain way, you're you're going to get your way. How many times do we see children who are taught when they're with the targeted parent to really be disruptive and act out and, and make a real nuisance out of themselves, perhaps in the hope that maybe that parent won't want to see that child anymore, or at least pause or take a break from seeing the child. Who knows? But it teaches the child really inappropriate behavior. Number 10, refusing to communicate with the other parent about the child or the child's well-being. 
So refusing any kind of communication teaches the child to do the same. You can just shut down. You don't have to communicate. Well, that's totally inappropriate, and especially between a parent and a child, that's not what you want to teach children. The 11th strategy is, is sharing grown-up details with the child. Sharing grown-up details is a cause of parental uh, parentification. It's a, uh, a role reversal where children may uh, struggle to regulate or cope with their own negative emotions and may develop a high emotional reactivity and sensitivity that makes them susceptible to emotional outbursts. And think about some of the up the details that they get exposed to. One parent might talk about another parent when they were back in college, when they were teenagers or when they were young adults. That's inappropriate. Some behavior might be inappropriate for that child to know about. Have a parent smoke marijuana when they were in college. How many times is that brought up to the child to saying, well, you, this parent is a substance abuser? And here's an example. And the, the list goes on and on. Who, had, who drinks, who had a drinking problem? A rule of thumb in terms of what details children need to know is answer the question, how will the child benefit from the information? If you can't answer that question honestly, that there's a clear benefit to the child knowing something about a parent or a parent's past, then they don't, they don't need to know period. Oh, you hear parents say, well, they need to know the truth. They don't need to know the truth. They don't need to know the history of uh, a parent's background childhood unless it's going to serve some purpose for that child. Tactic number 12, allowing the child to make up their own mind on whether they want to spend time with the other parent. And this is interesting because Richard Rorschach has one of the fallacies saying that, hey, it's okay for an older child, a 16, 17-year-old to make that decision. And there are people, there are adults, legal professionals who believe the same thing. I just read an evaluation not too long ago, and basically they say, well, this was a 17-year-old girl, and she should be, she really doesn't need any parenting, so she should make her own mind. She'd be allowed to make up her own mind. That's insane, especially with teenagers. Teenagers especially need parenting. Because we need to guide them in terms of making the right kinds of decisions. And teenagers historically make bad decisions. So don't you think it's an idea that we should, you know, teach them how to uh, deal with communication skills, how to resolve problems. If they have a genuine uh, problem with a parent, we need to figure out how to sit down and discuss that problem and resolve it. Kind of makes common sense, but somehow or other, was it... um, old guy years and years ago back in the 1930s, Will Rogers, said the problem with common sense is it's not that common. Um, withholding in number 13 is withholding information, important information about a child's schooling, such as parent-teacher conferences, concerts, activities. Uh, r- ruling a parent out, it's basically a move to eliminate that parent from the child's life. And that that number one, it minimizes the parent's role. The child sees that that parent's role is minimized, and it either encourages or reinforces the child to be disrespectful and misbehaving, or the child concludes erroneously that that parent really doesn't care about them. And so what that feeds in and fosters the favored parent's uh, orientation and positioning. Number 14, scheduling activities for the child during the other parent's scheduled parenting time without clearing it with that parent. How many times have you seen people scheduling karate um, you know, karate lessons, soccer lessons, baseball, et cetera, et cetera? I had one case years and years ago as a kindergartner. She was busy every single day after school, every day, five days a week. 
I think that's a little excessive for a kindergartner. But the whole purpose was to basically make that child unavailable to the targeted parent. And that is quite a common phenomenon, by the way. On number 15, not giving access to the child's school, medical, or religious records or providers. Again, eliminating that parent from a child's life. A, the child is aware of that. The child either concludes that that parent doesn't care about them, or it's okay to remove that parent, especially during really important things like school, religion, medical activities, et cetera, et cetera. So there was 15 of them. There are other ones that we could look at. It's just so important for, for professionals, medical, um, mental health professionals involved with the legal system to really understand a very comprehensive understanding of this phenomenon. I, 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 I'm just shocked more and more every day. And more recently, it was a, a, a legal professional arguing, well, this child is 17 years old and she's basically on her own. So, you know, she can make these decisions. No, she can't. Well, um, I'm going to stop today because it's uh, 17 minutes into this and I hope to talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www dot drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. <music>